Our passage today is Romans 8, verses 1 through 27. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Spirit of God. 
Well, good morning. Good morning. All right. Hey. Yeah, we did a little of this, a little of this. Good morning. Yeah. All right. We're here. Uh, welcome to church. I'm so, so thankful just to be a part of this community, man. We love, we love this church and are just um, so thankful for what's happening here. And um, I wonder, ha- have any of you guys traveled with children before? The, the, the giggles, the, the hand raisers. Yeah, we're out here. Real, real worship. Yeah, that, that passage that Al just read, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That is, I think, a hyperlink to uh, traveling with young children, to be honest. I mean, I'm in there just saying, nothing will compare to your glory, God, someday, you know. But we, uh, we flew. We got two little ones, a three-year-old and an 18-month-old, and we took a, a flight to Colorado. And it was, it was really hard. <laughs> it was hard. Um, but there's also some, some beauty in kids, you know? Like, they just are amazed at things that we start to just become accustomed to, like uh, the moving walkways at the airport, you know? Like, we just hop on those things like it's nothing. But these kids, the first time they, they were, they're obsessed. They're like, oh, my, dad, did you, dad, it, it, go, it goes, dad. You get on it. And they were upset. We almost missed our flight because they were just going back and forth on the moving walkway, right? Like, they just love that thing. They love that thing. And Blakely, she actually said something. She looked at me and said, Daddy, why are they not using the thing? And I said, sweetie, um, I went full preacher. I said, baby girl, listen, that is much like Christians who want to live their life without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't say that, but I could have. And I'm about to right now. So I'm going to do right now. Um, in a lot of ways, um, when we talk about prayer, Prayer actually comes in this tense that a lot of us are unfamiliar with, and it comes in this middle tense, or what uh, some scholars have called the middle voice. And it's, uh, it's not necessarily an active voice, but it's not passive either, but it's something that was initiated with us, and now we're just joining in on. And prayer is meant to come in that voice, but we don't experience it in that voice unless we have an understanding of the Spirit's role in prayer. And that much like that moving walkway on the air, at the airport, prayer is meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Prayer feels so hard for us most of the time because we, we see that moving walkway, but we're like, I'm, I'm going to do this thing by myself. I'm just going to walk. You know those people at the airport. You're like, why, bro? This is the one time in life that you've got some assistance to move you where you're going. Hop on that thing. But prayer is meant to be that way. It's meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to I I look at this passage, and I know some of you, you just started salivating when you saw Romans 8. You're like, finally, we're getting into the Word, you know? You love Romans 8. And I'm just going to lower your expectations a little bit, okay? Because we're going to throw on a different set of glasses, and we're going to look at this passage through a little bit different lens this morning. And we're going to look at it through the lens of prayer. And in a lot of ways, what I actually believe is core to this passage is how does the Spirit enable and empower us as we connect and commune with God in prayer. And so I'm going to look at three different kind of movements that we see in the passage. Attention, giving our attention to the Spirit, experiencing the Father through the Spirit, and then how the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Well, Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning. We uh, need your presence this morning. We have no uh, help without ourselves, by ourselves. So we 
even these words that are so beautiful, our minds can't comprehend them, Holy Spirit, unless you bring clarity to them. So would you aid us this morning as we walk with you? Would you illuminate the glory and the beauty of who Jesus is to us? Amen. And well, I don't know if you know this, but we currently live in uh, what some social psychologists call an attention economy, okay? Some of you don't know that, but you know that, right? Um, I don't know. Most kids these days, like, it's, it's shifted. Let me, let me tell you what kids uh, dream to be when they grow up. They used to be, I want to be a firefighter. Or I want to be an astronaut. And now you're, like, asking some 12-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? They're like, I want to be an influencer. You know? Like, I just really feel like I need to make content for the world <laughs> to see. You know? That's, like, the dream of kids. Like, I just want to have a YouTube page. You're like, all right, you know? But that's what is shaping our world right now. There, there is a good majority of people who that is their job is to be an influencer. Okay, I'm educating some folks in the room, an influencer. Okay, here's what an influencer does. They get a lot of people's attention and they um, get however many followers or subscribers to their channel or their page. And then people with products see, wow, they're getting a ton of attention. Let me give them my product. You wear my product. I'll pay you to wear my product. And then everyone buys said product. That's how the basically advertisement works these days. It used to be all these signs and billboards. It's not that anymore. It's all about getting our attention on people. And you know that. You know like your attention drives your life. And the algorithm, the, the algorithm, you know the, it has us, right? It has us. The algorithm, uh, the, the, the constant things to look at our phones or technology or whatever it might be, it's just something trying to vie for your attention. It wants your mind, and then it ultimately shapes you. You end up buying things that you didn't even know existed, right? Because it, it got your attention. I felt it this morning. I'm trying to get up and pray a little bit before the sermon, be real spiritual and get into it. And I'm like, you know... I wonder who won that three-point contest last night. And I pull out my phone and look at ESPN. Like, it's always there. There's always the temptation to give our attention to, like, a million other things. And in the passage, it's, it's kind of where Paul starts. He says, we do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So he says, those who live according to the Spirit, those who walk in step with the Spirit, which is what we are longing to do, those who long for more of His power, more of His presence, what they do is they set their mind on the Spirit. They give their attention to the Spirit. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to give your attention, give your mind to think about what the Spirit is? what the Spirit is up to, what He's doing. And it's just to give Him your attention. Ultimately, that's what prayer is. Prayer begins with just giving the Spirit your attention. Let me just like break prayer down a little bit and all the, the fear around it. Just start by giving the Spirit. You're just saying, here, God, here's my mind for 30 seconds. Here I am. It's giving the Spirit your attention. And if we would say, which we normally do, we say that prayer is to communicate and to connect with God, then to give your attention is really just to enter into conversation with God. That's what giving your attention to the Spirit is. And I don't know if any of you guys have done long distance before. Any, any long distance relationships in the house? Yeah, they're the worst and the best, mostly the worst. But 
You, do this, you get into weird habits when you're doing long-distance relationships that you don't do when you're close, and you text all the time. Okay? You just are always texting each other. You're just like walking around like we would, Kayla and I would be in different campuses, and I'd be like, hey, how's it going? She'd be like, good, how's your day? Like just this constant communication, you know, which is great until you like run out of things to talk about, which we still haven't. In five years, we've not ran out of things to talk about. But I still have uh, adapted some of those long-distance relationships. Like, they're still in me a little bit. So sometimes I, like, go to work, and I just text Kayla all the time, you know? Like, the other day, I texted her, and I was like, oh, I burnt my tongue so bad. <laughs> and then she called me, and she's like, she's like, oh, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. What's up? She's like, you said you burnt your tongue. I'm like, oh, the, my coffee was just hot, you know? It's like, no, no big deal. She's like, okay, we need to start talking about what is worth a text message <laughs> because... This is getting out of hand, you know, we need to set some boundaries, you know, and I'm like, I thought boundaries were done with dating, and you're like, no, boundaries are everywhere, and then t Henry Cloud wrote a book on boundaries, and now they're making their way into my text messaging with my wife, it's everywhere, right, but anyways, <laughs> like, where are you going with that? We communicate with people that we love to set your mind on them. When you are in love with someone, when we were doing long distance, I didn't text her because I actually was really curious about her day. I just couldn't stop thinking about her. So I'm just always like, oh, what's on my second I get out of class, second I get out of prayer, whatever it was, I'm, I'm texting her, I'm talking to her. My mind and my attention is always going towards her. And in some ways, this makes the, the, the big supernatural things that we talk about really, really simple, and it makes every moment a holy moment that you have direct access into the presence of God. That's what he says, right? He says the spirit who lives in you. The same imagery that we would see of the temple or the tabernacle in the Old Testament, that it dwelt there, his presence, it dwelt in the tabernacle. Now you and me, we are the new living temples of the Holy Spirit, that we have access to his presence. So in your car ride home, in your walk, whatever it might be, literally you can just enter into conversation by setting your attention Direct, simple prayers to God are the most beautiful at times. Just conversation with the Spirit. But communication, as we know, and as some of us are learning, communication goes both ways. You have to talk in communication, but you also have to listen. And much of the failure in our prayer life actually comes from an inability to listen in prayer. There's confusion there. There's a mystery there. And what does it look like to listen to the Spirit? But I want to say this morning, to give your attention to the Spirit is also to listen to the Spirit. And I get it. Some of us get a little squirmy when we hear that. I want to acknowledge there's hurt and brokenness when we hear things like the voice of God. It's a delicate thing. Some of us have been hurt and wounded by people using that to manipulate or, or hurt or bring pain in some ways. But Jesus says it's imperative to our discipleship that we know his voice. John 10, he, he's explaining how he's a good shepherd. And he says, my sheep, they know my voice. Right? And some of you know this. I'm not a dog person. I'm not anti-dog. Okay? but we don't have dogs, and we're telling the kids that Kayla's allergic, okay? <laughs> but I know, because I've heard some of you, the modern sheep know my voice is the modern dog know my whistle, you know? I've heard people, you know, they, your dog could be in a dog park, but they hear your little <laughs> whatever it might be, and they perk their ears up, and they start darting towards you, right? Because they know your whistle. They know, right? They know they have a familiarity with that whistle. At least that's what I hear from dog people, Okay? 
In the same way, there's, there's these, these people who study birds. They're called ornithologists. Anybody know that this morning? Yeah. I brought that. Yeah. Let me educate you on ornithologists this morning. They study birds, okay? But what's interesting about them is if you or I were to go, like, into a forest, we would just be like, man, the birds, they're chirping, you know, period. That's it. These ornithologists, they'll go in there and be like, oh, it's a blue jay. I can hear it by the way it tweets, you know, like they, they know because they have a familiarity because they've been so immersed in all of these different kinds of birds that they know what is this bird, what is this bird, and they can hear it. There's a familiarity. And so to follow Jesus, to be someone who sets his mind on the Spirit, set her mind on the Spirit, it's to grow in familiarity with the voice of the Spirit. The more immersed you are in something with someone, the more familiar you are with their voice. So what does that look like? What does it look like to listen to the Spirit? Because I'm not going to give you some profound thing. It's really, really simple for most of us. One is your posture around it. It's creating an inner stillness and quiet. Many saints of old, they've compared hearing the voice of God to like feeling a feather on your shoulder that when you're like in a crazy rush of a crowd and you're bumping around people and that feather hits, you have no idea, right? You're like, I don't know, I got people hitting my hip. I don't, can't feel anything on my shoulder. But when, but when you're sitting still, there's a real, you can, you can sense that feather landing on you. Or it's like throwing a pebble into a pond. If it's a rushing river and you throw a pond, you can't tell the difference at all. But when that, you've seen that pond, when it's super still and you throw that pebble, it ripples and it goes and it goes and it goes. It's creating this inner stillness. It's what Elijah was explained to hearing the still, small voice of God. It's the voice of the Spirit inside of us. You can engage the Spirit by just asking questions. I love it. He says, set your mind on what the Spirit desires. So it's asking those kinds of questions, saying, Spirit, what are you, what are you up to today? Asking really simple questions. Spirit, is there, is there someone who needs blessing today? Is there someone who needs encouragement today? Someone who needs prayer. And it's this active waiting, jumping on the moving walkway and listening to what the Spirit might say to you. He's longing to bless people through you. It's what he desires to do. We are blessed to be a blessing. He longs to encourage people through you. Just creating space to say, is there something that you're up to today? Another more practical, more simple way to hear the voice of the Spirit is the scriptures, hearing his voice in the scriptures. First and foremost, anything that's true of Jesus is true of the Spirit. They have the exact same nature and character. They are the exact same. So the way that you see and hear Jesus speak in the Gospels is the exact tone, posture, whatever it might be, is the exact same way that the Spirit is going to speak to you. So one really practical way to, to, to attune your ear to what the Spirit sounds like is to immerse yourselves in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four narratives of Jesus' life, they are the Father's heart expressed in human form. They are the lived, embodied presence of God. So to hear his voice in the Gospels, and not only that, but to put yourself in the stories that you read. Right, I'm, you're not the main story. You're not the main character of the story. Let me get that clear. Right, Jesus is the main character, but we are always relating in some way to the different people in the narratives. So, engaging and asking in the Holy Spirit, where do I fit in this story? And based on what Jesus is saying, how are you inviting? What are you inviting me into? 
What are you highlighting in my heart? And then what are you drawing me into deeper to walk with you? Another practical with the scriptures is just to read, read the Psalms and read those Psalms until you hear your voice. Because the Spirit often longs to reveal you to you. And sometimes you read those Psalms, you read them again and again and again. Sometimes we, we do the daily Psalms, which is like on the first day of the month, you read 1, 31, 61, 91. There's plenty of Psalms for you to read and just read them until you hear your voice. And then ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. These scriptures are not just meant to be this intellectual thing that we comprehend and memorize, but they are meant to be interacted with and related to. They are the living breath and word of God. But we enter into them and we set our minds on the Spirit as we engage them with our hearts and our minds and we ask the Spirit to speak. And that's where prayer starts, is to give the Spirit your attention. But power flows as we experience the Spirit. Right? Paul continues, he said, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Right? There it is again, to be led by the Spirit. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is to be led by the Spirit, to follow him, to be aware of his activity in your life. And he keeps going, and he says, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And I love this, right? Because he's acknowledging. I love that the scriptures are honest. He's acknowledging our tendency and propensity to drift into fear. But he is saying you were not built to live on fear. You were not given the spirit of God that you might fall back into fear. But you were given a spirit that wells up within you and cries out to the Father in a, in a, in a childlike way that says, Daddy, Abba, Papa, God. That's what the spirit is welling up within us. And he's contrasting these two things. He's not saying, have more faith, ignore your fear. He's saying, no, no, no. If you want to not live a life of fear, what you need is to receive the Spirit. You need, you need more of the Holy Spirit. Paul says the same thing in Timothy. He says, for you were not given a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self-control. The Spirit wells up inside of us. He's the one who drives out the fear that we experience the Father's love in such a way that fear cannot stay there. Fear, anxiety, stress, all of those things are driven out by the Spirit. It's our antidote to fear to receive the Spirit. And it's like most clear when we look at the disciples, right? Like, I'm going to hate on my guy Peter all day. But poor Peter, you know, poor guy. But we see it in Peter, Peter is this dude who's been following Jesus for like three years. He's always like one or two steps ahead of his body with his mouth. You know what I mean? Like he's saying more than he can actually do. And he's like, I'm never going to deny you, Lord. And Jesus kind of prophesies that. He says, hey, you're going to deny me around a fire here soon. He's like, I'll never do that. And then he gets around a fire and some 12-year-old girl is like, hey, didn't I see you with, with the Jesus guy? He's like, 
no, not me. No, you saw somebody that looked a lot like me. We get mistaken all the time. Wasn't me, you know. Little girl, go to your dad, little girl. You know, like he's he 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 denies Jesus. He says, no, that wasn't me. And then we see something crazy happen in the life of Peter. Right? We see after Jesus has died on the cross, he's resurrected, and right before he's about to ascend into heaven, he looks at Peter and the other disciples and he says, I need you to wait here. Because as you wait here, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I don't know if you can just imagine yourself being Peter in that moment. You're like, yo, all right, I'm just going to wait here. And he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And then Acts chapter 2, which Jeremy preached on a couple weeks ago, happens and the Spirit of God comes. It fills the room. It says it comes like a mighty rushing wind. And all of a sudden, Peter is filled with this boldness and this courage And he stands up, and the same dude who denied Jesus around the fire with a three-year-old girl stands up before like 3,000 people at least, and he declares the gospel truth of Jesus. (laughs) What happened? What happened to this dude? He was filled with the Spirit. He received the Holy Spirit. He received not a spirit of fear, but he received one of power and love. And then what's interesting is then at the end of his sermon, he, he, says, he says, repent, be baptized, be forgiven for all of your sins. And then he ends it with, and receive the Holy Spirit. Someone who has received the Spirit, and now he is saying, and you, the invitation to you is to receive the Spirit. The same transforming power that has changed me. It has, Jesus has it on display, on invitation for you to come receive the Spirit. And in so many ways, when you look at the New Testament, Receiving the Spirit is directly connected to what it means to follow Jesus and to be a Christian. Galatians chapter 3, Paul, he's, he's given a word of rebuke to the Galatian people, and he says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? He ties his salvation experience to receiving the Spirit. That was, he was like, this is, the, I, this is how I'm seeing what we're doing now. Did you receive the Spirit by this? Or by this, he didn't say, did you have your sins forgiven or this or whatever, which he could say a thousand other things, but he tied it to this, receiving the Spirit. It's the promise of Jesus. So we talked about last week in John chapter 7, it's his promise. It's his invitation to come and drink of living water and then to become that living water in the world. It's his promise. It's not wishful thinking, but it's the invitation and the promise of those who follow Jesus that we would receive the power of the Spirit. It's not something we're supposed to convince ourselves of theologically, but something we're meant to experience the freedom and the power and the promise of the Holy Spirit. And our posture matters with this, right? Because receiving sets us free. It's not something we're going after or trying to well up or force to happen, but we just receive the Spirit. We can't make the Spirit do anything, but we can position ourselves to receive, to ask, to seek, to knock, and in that middle voice, have this active waiting as we long for more of the Spirit in our lives. And that is our core need. Whether you know it or not this morning, that is your deepest need. We need more of His presence. We need the Spirit. 
right? Paul continues, he says, and by him, the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What he has in mind here is this court scene, right? He has a court scene. He says the, the, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. He's like, he is an eyewitness that in your mind you have lies that you have come to believe about yourself and about God, and what you need actually is not just to try to force yourself to think a certain way, but you need healing from the Spirit. You need the Spirit to heal the way that you see God. He's saying the Holy Spirit has come to repair and restore the false views of who we see the Father to be. The Spirit has come into our heart that we might cry out, Abba, Father. He's an eyewitness, and the gavel slams on the, on the podium or whatever the judge sits behind, and it says, you're a son. You're a daughter. That's who you are. You're, you've taken on all these other identities. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. That's your identity, and it's not just something you try to rehearse again and again, but it's the Spirit bearing witness with the core of who you are, saying, this is who you are. You're a child. And how much of our own lives are we just trying to convince everyone that we're lovable, right? We're trying to convince, there's a search for our significance, this longing to be impressive, whatever it might be that, that lives inside of us, right? Like my, like my little babies, they do it all the time, right? Like Mav just started doing it. He can barely talk, but he stands on the couch and he's like, watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. And then he just falls into the beanbag. And I'm like, I'm not like, dude, awesome, man. Gravity did like 99% of the work, like way to go, you know? No, something wells up inside of me. I'm like, I see you, bro. You're amazing. You can fall on a beanbag, you know? But we have that same longing in us. Watch me, see me. And then we shell it out to all these other different sources. And the spirit inside of us is trying to say, the Father sees you. And it's what Paul is almost always praying for people. Right? He always goes right to the core. In Ephesians 1, he prays that the people would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the spirit would reveal what's already true in their hearts. In Ephesians 3, right, he prays the same thing. He prays that the, that the spirit would give them strength in their inner being to believe who they are. It's what the Holy Spirit does. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an old dead dude, he has this, he has this uh, sorry, I don't know why I said that. I gotta give myself a, a breath here. But he has this uh, he has this old illustration where he talks about how we walk with the spirit. And he says most of our spiritual life is much like a dad just walking and holding the hand of their kid. And he says there's moments, and this is what he's talking about, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, or in Ephesians three when the spirit does this. He says there's moments when when the dad bends over and he picks up his kid and he puts him in his arms and he hugs him and he gives him a kiss. And he puts him back down. And he says that without those moments in our spiritual life, we drift into religion. Without those moments where we, we are gripped by the love of God, we just fall into doing the same thing again and again and again and again, and our hearts are, grow hard and harder. But he's saying the Spirit longs to, to lift you up and present you to the Father's arms and not just walk with you, which he does all the time, but he longs to immerse you in his presence to immerse you in his love, something you might experience, the Father's love. And it's what he longs to do. Luke chapter 11 is one of my favorite passages on prayer, and he ends this little section on prayer of Jesus, and he, and he says this, how much 
more. He's talking about to these dads. He said, you who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. If your kid asks for some chicken, you're not going to give him a steak. That's what he says in the message version. And then they come up to him and he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? As if to say he longs to give the Spirit to you. He longs to give you more of his presence. And it's what we really need. We need to encounter and experience the love of God. And it's not just experience for experience sake, right? But it changes and transforms everything about us. It changes how you see the world. It changes how you see yourself, your family. It's what the world needs. We need renewed Christians. That's why we talk about renewal all the time here. We want, pe- we want to experience the renewing power of the Spirit that renews and restores our love for people and for God, and that he renews our sense of our own belovedness before him. It's what the world needs. But how we get there is almost always not what we think it is, right? Paul goes into this illustration that seems like a little bit off. You know, it's like this kind of weird section in the middle of Romans 8 that you guys skip over. Everyone just loves 1 through like 17, and then we skip to like God works all things together for the good of those who love his children, you know? But he gives this illustration about how the spirit and and creation, it longs for new creation, that something is broken in us. It says that the Spirit cries out within us with like this agony that says, this isn't right. And you know that feeling. Right? He, he gives the, the, that all of creation is groaning for it to be made whole again. And he uses it an illustration to say, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses read that one more time. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, we do not know what we ought to pray, but for the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Weakness is the way to more of the Spirit. We're always living with some kind of angst, an inner angst, something that we wish was different. If this was right, if this hadn't happened, if, 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 if I just didn't experience this, my life would be Fill in the blank, whatever it might be for you. And it's here that the Spirit cries out within us. But it's here also that we are basically always trying to hide, right? Like this week, I, I met a friend for lunch, and I even texted him before I got there. I said, hey, I'm in, finishing up a call in my car. Like, meet me in there, you know? Because I didn't want him to come to my car because my car was completely messy, okay, to be honest. Like, if a 12-year-old could drive, this is what his car would look like, all right? <laughs> But he ignored my texts, and he came up to my car, and I was trying to lock my doors and roll up my window. Bro, I'll be right back out, dude. Don't come. I didn't want him to see the inside of my car. Nobody can relate because you're mature adults here, okay? <laughs> I can see it. You're like, wow, man. Man, if my soul looked like my car, we would have problems up in here, okay? It was bad. All right, but I cleaned it after that. Um, but we do that. That's how we relate to our mess That's how we relate to our weakness. It's the way we're trained to do it by every other structure and system in our culture and in our world is you have a weakness, hide your weakness. You know, even on resumes, they're they're like, even if they ask you, what is your weakness? You're like, you know, caring too much, trying too hard, giving myself too much to my work. You know, like we don't know how to deal with weakness. 
When I played basketball, I could not guard a soul, okay? You could all give me buckets, I promise. But what I used to do is I used to just get real wide like this and just hope that they would pass the ball somewhere else because I'm trying to hide my weakness. That's what we do. It's what we naturally do. It's what we've always done. It's what we're trained to do. But the invitation of Jesus is to bring your weakness to him. It's where we meet the Spirit. And the older, the more professional, the more put together our lives get, the more, the greater the temptation is to hide our insufficiencies. But in reality, what we're doing is we're putting a lid on what the Spirit longs to do in our life. The whole creation longs to be redeemed. And likewise, the Spirit intercedes for us. It longs for us to be made whole and made new, but we have to present our weaknesses. And some of you, that's like exactly where you are. Like we're in this series on the Spirit and pursuing more, and you're like, dude, that could not feel further from my experience right now. I am just trying to make it, let alone long for more of what God wants to do. And I actually want to say that that is actually exactly where he's going to meet you. It's almost always where he is, where he's more readily available. He is the one who helps us to hang on, and he's the one who moves us forward into action. And so often, it's breakdowns that lead to breakthroughs. Every struggle, every longing for wholeness, every experience of our inner angst is actually an invitation to draw on more power from the Spirit of God. It's almost always that life comes through death. I mean, isn't it interesting that Jesus, even in his ministry, when the Spirit comes on him, it first says, it says the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. And then he comes back, this is in Luke chapter 4, and then it says after he comes back, it says, then empowered by the Spirit, Jesus began to teach, preach, and heal. That the Spirit does both in us. He leads us to the end of ourselves that he might fill us up. There's almost a preparation time in our own hearts that he has to empty us before he can fill us. But we need to embrace his work in us. He reveals sin in our life, not, not, not to just point at us and shame us. There's no condemnation for you. That's not his voice. But he points it out that, we might in, that he might invite us into deeper, a more fulfilled resurrection life on the other side of dying to things. And so I want to invite you this morning, invite you into a way of life, of bringing your weakness to Jesus. Whatever pain, whatever sin patterns, suffering, whatever it might be, bring it to him and ask him to meet you right there. Do it alone. Do it in this secret, private prayer place with him and just give him your heart and ask the Spirit to fill you and do it with people. I mean, I want to ask you this morning, like, have you ever had someone just lay hands on you and ask that God would bless you and fill you with his Spirit? I mean, it's almost like what they didn't stop doing in the book of Acts. (laughs) We're just like always praying for each other and just like asking that the Spirit would fill them. I'm closing here. I'm landing the plane. I know I'm going a little long. Acts chapter 8, though, right? There's, there's, this, there's this story when the, the new believers come. It says this. It says, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. And then it said, Peter and John, they placed hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And then some dude named Simon who'd been working in sorcery and witchcraft and stuff, he kind of developed this kind of powerful ministry. He saw something and he said, I want that. How much can I pay for that, you know? They're like, dude, no, you've got the totally wrong thing. But he saw something. He saw the Spirit move in a way that he was like, I've never seen that before. And so I just want to invite you, even this morning, we're going to have some people in the back just ready to pray. And you don't need to go with a request, but just if you just want to receive 
prayer to say, God, would you fill me with your spirit? If you're saying, I, I, I know the love of God in my head, but it's so far from my heart, just make your way to the back and just open up your hands. We're just going to pr- have people just back there ready to just pray and say, God, would you fill them with your spirit? Would you testify with their spirit that they are children of God? That's what the Holy Spirit longs to do. He heals and repairs and restores the face of God to who he actually is. So how we walk with the Spirit, give him our attention, experience the love of the Father through the Spirit, and then bring our weaknesses to him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you long to fill us with your Spirit. So how much more Will you give the Spirit to those who ask? So I pray for two different pockets of people in the room right now, those who just need your sustaining grace and power, those who are just literally barely making it right now. Would you meet with them? Would you comfort them and strengthen them and encourage them and help them to take the next step as you have your sustaining power with them? And I also just pray for those of us who have longing and hunger, who have a desire for more power to know your love in deeper ways. Would you speak to us? Would we grow in familiarity to what your voice sounds like, the tender, still, small whisper of your Holy Spirit? Amen.